In this episode of The Last Symptom of Borderline Personality Disorder, I have a guest on named Natalie to talk about her past experiences with me. This episode generated some criticism, which I do not entirely disagree with. So here's my reply to a person who wrote to me after this episode originally aired. Thanks so much for taking time to write out some of your thoughts to me. I agree with you that this episode is not my finest, nor is it anywhere close to being the most useful to people. In fact, I don't think it's unfair to say that this is my worst episode of all that I have recorded. But really, is one terrible episode out of over 50 a big deal? No, I don't think so. So let's keep a healthy context here. I'm only human. And to be honest, I was scrambling at the last minute for a topic to discuss because I've been stretched so thin on other aspects of last symptom-related work. My intention was to offer listeners a chance to hear me described from when I still had borderline personality disorder by somebody other than myself. I wanted them to get hit with a really ugly, uncomfortable description of who I was back then. What I did not want was another episode of somebody simply saying how great I am. Why would I want to let people hear something so negative about me? Well, because it was the reality, the plain truth of what I was. Although I regret it, I'm not still clinging to unreasonable shame or embarrassment about it. I identified my issues. I got to the roots of them. And I fixed them. So, standing here today, I have nothing to be embarrassed about. You know, every person who comes out of borderline personality disorder authentically is going to have to, at some point along the way, accept that they were once assholes, for lack of a better word. Then they're going to have to accept that identifying and fixing the root causes of their disorder means that they can forgive themselves of this and surrender any shame and embarrassment. So, to say that the episode has no practical value to my overall work whatsoever isn't correct. Is it my worst episode? Yes, probably. Does it have no value at all? No, that's not the case. I thought I had an opportunity with Natalie to have listeners here unvarnished unrehearsed, negative descriptions of me by a woman who knew me very well at a very specific, unique period of time in my life, and the fact that I could let her talk freely, that I could sit and hear these scathing, negative things being said about me right to my face, while not arguing with her about it, is no small thing. Every person with borderline personality disorder who listens to this episode will have to imagine a day when they themselves will be able to sit calmly and be talked to that way. Well, this didn't fully work out as I had planned because, frankly, getting Natalie to speak poorly of me in a totally free and open way turned out to be a bit more difficult than I thought it would be. Getting her to be talkative in general was not easy, which is why you hear me stammering around trying to fill in dead air. All of the reminiscing about our experiences together and the, the story 
telling about my old apartment and things of this nature was my attempt to loosen her up, to get her comfortable and talking freely. As for me consoling Natalie on the recording, this really was not the focus of what I was trying to achieve. The purpose was to listen without judgment, which I did. I don't regret that she and I ultimately did not end up together. Therefore, any expression by me that would seem to imply otherwise would not be honest, and therefore it's something that I'm not able to express. The timing was wrong. There were lots of other factors involved that, you know, I couldn't highlight in just a short episode here, but uh, there were a lot of reasons why, especially during that time, it was not right, it would not have been right for me to have gotten into a committed relationship. So I was unable in any way to express otherwise. That wouldn't have been honest. So what may sound like coldness in my failure to respond to emotional things she expressed was not coldness at all. It was me simply listening without judgment, but stopping short of reciprocating in any dishonest way. So I hope this reply shows that I really do genuinely appreciate the feedback I got on this episode. In most ways, I completely agree with the evaluation that the episode sucks, more or less. In other ways, I hope I've been able to persuade you to see some of the potential it had and some of the value it still serves. So I'm grateful to have you all as listeners. Here is the program. Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental health nor emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he has gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as they individually and personally choose while accepting full responsibility for their own individual thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares. And by listening to this program, you are acknowledging that you and only you are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to The Last Symptom of Borderline Personality Disorder. I'm Brian Barnett, the creator and host. I want to invite you, yes, you, to visit thelastsymptom.com where you can access the many resources that I offer. While you're there, if you feel compelled to make a donation to support my overall body of work, which includes this podcast, I thank you very much. Donations allow me to focus ever more exclusively on this work, which requires much more time, thought, and effort than a lot of people might assume. I remember a fellow talking to me several months back who himself hosts a podcast on similar topics, and he said something to the effect of, uh, what I don't understand is how you're able to get out new content every week. (laughs) He was publishing the episodes of his podcast bi-monthly or monthly, I don't remember. At any rate, I officially launched this podcast late last summer. We're now coming up on its one-year anniversary, and except for, I think... Two occasions, once when I was sick and another time when I was leaving for a big wilderness backpacking trip. I've never missed a week. 
So this is by no means a sly attempt by me to guilt people into giving me their hard-earned money. I just know that it's natural when you're not personally involved in the process of something to sort of underestimate all the work that's involved. I know that because I do it myself. While you're at thelastsymptom.com, you'll notice that I offer my personal time as a one-on-one consultant. So if you're interested in talking to me, you can schedule that right from thelastsymptom.com. Now, today, I have probably one of the most special guests of all time. Her name's Natalie. And uh, Natalie knew me back in the time when I was, I had just kind of emerged from my borderline personality disorder crisis. Life was really gloomy for me. And uh, I had not really progressed at all in any type of recovery from that emotional disorder. So Natalie and I got to be really close. She knows me really well. And um, kind of spontaneously today, I asked her if she'd be interested in coming on the show and kind of giving some insights about the person she knew back then, how I was. And um, she said, well, you know, uh, I'm not sure what picture you want me to paint. That's not exactly the words she used, but, uh, you know, that was kind of the, the thing she expressed. And I said, well, I just want you to be totally honest. I'm not going for any angles here. I just want authenticity. This is a chance for people to see me through you. And so that's what we're going to go for today. Hi, Natalie. Thanks for joining us. Hi. How are you? Yeah, I'm well. How are you? I'm good. You said you were a little nervous about doing this. Is that because of your personality, or is it because nine billion people make you nervous, or what's what's all that about? I'm a little shy, and the idea of a lot of people listening to me talk about uh, kind of an equally hard time for me in my life uh, when I met you, it's, it makes me a little nervous. And I'm going to let you talk about that if you want to. You can talk about what you want to talk about or, you know. You don't have to talk about anything you don't want to talk about. We were both going through a rough time back then, weren't we? Yeah. You and I met, uh, and we started dating kind of formally slash informally, right? We saw each other not with any regularity. Well, we, we, we would go through periods of seeing each other regular, and then some time would pass, and then we would get back together. Is that how you remember it? Yes. Yeah. We couldn't stay away from each other, but we couldn't handle anything i remember one night you come uh, totally out of the blue i thought i was never going to see you again i was in my living room of my little jenkintown apartment and i heard a tap 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 on my window do you remember that night yeah i looked out my window and there was natalie that was one of those moments where we kind of reconnected and spent i don't know how long it was maybe month couple months before we kind of split up again well since you're so talkative and i have to interrupt you here so much Let me ask you some questions to kind of spur the conversation along. From your point of view, what did you see in me during that time of my life? Really a lot of, a lot of struggle. You, you knew you had uh, basically tore your life apart. You made mistakes and it took you a long time to, to open up to me and talk to me about what really happened. I always knew that there was something that you just, you were ashamed of. And you were just, the way you reacted to things you had done, it was like you didn't feel like it was you 
like you were separated from it, but the pain was still yours and you were holding it. You wouldn't let go. I felt like, uh, I had caused so much damage in other people's lives and everything. And, uh, that that was going to define me for the rest of my life. <laughs> um, it was a real rough time. I remember we had some conversations, some deep conversations uh, about those sorts of things. You would you managed to get some things out of me, I think. I mean, you oh, managed yeah. to open me up a little bit. You told me a lot of things that were a little shocking, honestly, because I know what your values are, and it was all just completely everything you told me that had happened was out of character for you. Do you remember any of those shocking things that you, that you, you want to share some of them with us? Well, you, you had an affair, you're, you were married and you had an affair. It, uh, it was like, you felt like you were in love with both those people and you ended up getting the woman pregnant that you were um, having an affair with and she lost the baby. And at the time, I know you're, you shared them with both your wife and the other woman. And, uh, once they really kind of came around, they, they, neither of them, well, I know your wife didn't want anything to do with you. And then you felt tore up because you had made a commitment to her and you broke your promises to her and you broke that commitment. And, and then you just, you were kind of torn between that. And then what had happened with this other woman and you felt really bad about all of it. Like you, you ruined their lives. My, my ex-wife kept setting boundaries, which were really kind. Actually, when I look back on them, they were very kind boundaries because they weren't just for her. They, but they were in my best interest too. And I just kept breaking them and breaking them and breaking them. And before I got into the relationship with my mistress, I I really don't like that word, but uh, there's no other word for it. Um, when I got into the relationship with the mistress and she got pregnant, you know, that had been going on for like a year. That was already after I had confessed to my wife that I had been unfaithful to her. She was already giving me a pass and giving me a chance to turn things around. And here I had just gone out and done the same thing. Around the time that I was seeing you, Natalie, I was starting to get the realization of really to get the, a true sense of all the damage I had caused these people and how kind they had been to me over and over again and how I had just continued to take advantage of that. Um, I want to tell everybody that you and I, we haven't seen each other for seven years, have we? No. It's been seven years since you and I last saw each other. And we both lived in Philadelphia at the time. You know, when I say Philadelphia, that includes the suburbs. Mm-hmm. Philadelphia, Philadelphia's got a big footprint. And then we went our separate ways, and we just kind of have barely kept in touch over the years, haven't we? What, have we contacted each other maybe two, three times in that period? A few times, yeah. So we check in with each other. I have huge respect for Natalie. I have only good memories of her. I don't think she'll say that about me, <laughs> but I only have good memories of her. I view her as really a blessing in a time of need. She brought me comfort and company uh, at a time when, you know, I really needed somebody. Um, what do you, do you have bad memories of me? Not bad memories, just heartbreak. Why is that? Because I was in love with you, but you were not available. You were too busy punishing yourself and trying to, you wanted to fix 
all the havoc that you caused for these other people in your life. And you didn't see how much you meant to me and that you were causing havoc to me. Uh, it wasn't just that I was in so much pain that I didn't, um, didn't want to take advantage of our relationship. Uh, also what was going on was I didn't, until I knew what was going on with me, until I had figured it out, we even had this conversation a couple of times that I just could not bring myself to get into a committed relationship while I was still trying to figure out what had caused all that, those problems in the first place. If I just went right into another very committed and serious relationship without You're knowing. Of repeating it. Well, yeah, and it, it, it wasn't just a, a blind fear either. It was a fear built on the reality of the situation. If I had done that without figuring out what was going on with me, I would have just repeated that with you. Well, that's, that's what I say. I mean, we were both in bad places. I have PTSD and dissociative disorder, and I was recently diagnosed at that time when we met. And I was dealing with that too. And it, I knew when you're dealing with that kind of thing and you're trying to understand it and it's something that makes you act in a way that you don't want to, that, that doesn't follow your values, then yeah, you have to get it under control. You have to understand it and figure yourself out, get a hold of it before you can move on with your life. Can I tell the story about spending the first night I spent at your house? Sure. Natalie lived down kind of in a really rough part of Philadelphia and, um, she owned a house down there. Well, kind of like in the style of the Adams family house, but much nicer. And the reason I described it as like the Adams family house is because it was in the ghetto. I used to drive by there all the time on my way to work. I worked down at Albert Einstein Hospital. Then later I worked down at Temple University Hospital for, for about a year. But I would pass her area and a cop got killed at a Dunkin' Donuts right there. Uh, he got shot one morning as I was driving by. He walked in to get some donuts. The door opened. He, he just kind of turned around, and uh, the guy coming in through the door just pulled out a pistol, shot him right between the eyes, just like that. Um, so this is the kind of neighborhood we're talking about. And so I went to stay with Natalie that first night that I had been to her house and spent the night over. She slept with a, with a knife, a Crocodile Dundee knife, underneath her pillow. That was a sleepless night for me. <laughs> It was a field dressing knife, and it was in between the mattress and the box spring. I don't know if you've ever slept with a woman who kept a knife under her pillow, but it's a little hard to get to sleep when you know that that's just right, you know, inches from your head. And she's got PTSD, you know, you know, you never know what's going to set her off. But we got through it, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, we did. <laughs> we never really stayed in my house. Now, you were in the military at the time. How long have you been out of the mil military now? About four years. How was that about experience five, for you? Five years now. Wow. Wow. It's been five years. So about two years after the last time I saw you, you, you got out. Yeah. Do you miss it? I do. I'm trying to get back in as an officer. Really? I didn't know that. It's been a year in the making ever since I became an attorney. That's right. Let's talk about you a little bit. You're an attorney. Do you mind telling everybody where you're living? Well, I live in Chicago. I work for a, a company uh, in compliance. I got out of the military to go to law school and just to do something with my brain, basically. But, uh, and it was here, actually the VA that 
treated me for PTSD and actually helped me. So how's the PTSD going for you? <laughs> well, it's not going so much. So that's, that's where it's good. It's, I, uh, I understand it a lot better. I know how to deal with it. If something bothers me, I know why things bother me and how to almost have that discussion with myself in my head about that's just your PTSD. That's not real. And, uh, I don't take any antidepressants, anything. It's been a little while since I have, because I've been able to actually go through treatment and come out the other side. You've not listened to any of my shows, have you? You've never heard one of these programs, have you? I haven't. So you're doing this totally blind on pure faith. I trust you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I just wanted to say that for the audience that uh, you've never listened to any of the episodes of this show. And, uh, and here I've got you on as a guest. I really appreciate you doing this today. I kind of caught you off guard with it. I kind of spontaneously threw it on you. And I know you've got a lot to do today. I didn't even know that you had a show until you asked me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm huge, you know, like Michael Jackson. Sell out crowds. Well, let's see if we can dig in for some uh, more insights. Tell the people a little bit about uh, my apartment, where I lived, um, the things, we, the way we spent our time together. Um and stuff like that, um, you know, your impressions of all that stuff. It was the apartment of a single man in his thirties. It wasn't overly decorative. You're more about function than fashion. And, uh, I think, I don't know. It just, you had you know, like animals. You had, you had dog. He was same dog. I still have, right? Brady. Yep. Yeah. Super hyper. Cause he was a pup, but he was a good dog. And, uh, you, you like, things around you that bring you joy that don't necessarily they're, they're more personal. The first time I saw you, uh, your comic strip, I was actually really impressed because I thought you were really gifted. I don't know. We, we would just, most of the time we'd hang out, go to the VFW or one of the local pubs, get a drink and we drank a, a bit. <laughs> To give everybody some context, too, I think I was 38, 37, I was 37 or 38, and you were 28. No, you were 36 when we met. I was 28. Is that right? Eight years older than me. Eight years. Oh, okay. Yeah. And now here you are, uh, whopping 31, and I'm 39, what, 39, 40, something like that? Someone cannot do math. <laughs> yeah, that was a, the great thing about seeing a, uh, somebody in the military we'd go to the vfw and uh well we'd go to the tavern there was one of two taverns there near my apartment that we could walk to and uh they would close down at 2 a.m and i think the vfw closed down at 4 a.m right yeah so we we would close out one and then with your military background we could get into the vfw and we could get drinks for like a buck it was pretty cheap I like that VFW. We played a lot of pool. You, you're a big fan of pool, I think. Mm-hmm. Have you played pool lately? It's been a couple months. Uh, let's talk about your memory a little bit. Uh, there are things you block out, don't you, about the time that we spent together? That is a big part of PTSD is, and dissociative disorder is blocking things out. I have disassociative amnesia, so things that cause me pain, even the good things around them, I block out. And I caused you pain. 
Yeah. So have you forgiven me? Yes. I'm going to play that on a loop. I forgave you back then. That's why I kept coming back. Do you have any regrets about the time you and I spent together? Only that we didn't spend more time together. Oh, that's sweet. I'm going to play that on a loop too. <laughs> no, you were, you, you were someone who understood pain. You understood life not being perfect and that you've got to like figure it out. And, and I, I recognize that about you, that, you were you were a deep person and you wanted to take responsibility for well for your life and and for not trying to fix it necessarily on your own but i mean most most people who have something that they're dealing with in their head they try to think that they can do it completely on their own and it's really hard to do that and even if it's just meeting someone else who understands that kind of thing it it helps a lot by the time i had met you i had already met the guy that my audience knows that i talk about all the time but he had given me some really profound epiphanies and insights two he had given me two really profound epiphanies and insights by the time i met you i reckon about a year had passed and i was building on those on those two epiphanies. So, and that's what I continued to build on all the way up until I realized that I didn't have that disorder anymore. But when you and I met and we were spending time together and I was so much in my head and I was uh, refusing to get into any um, permanent commitments with you, that's what I was working on. I was building on those two epiphanies. And so there was a lot of mental work going on. But you're right. The way you described sort of my approach during that time is that I was determined to get to the bottom of it. I didn't want to put a Band-Aid on it and then have to deal with it later. I wanted to get to the bottom of it, figure out what the root of it all was, and then fix that. And so that's what I spent you know, that's what I spent a lot of these years doing since the time that you and I were together. It's kind of like a time machine, you know, talking to you and being brought back to that period of my life. I do feel regret that I wasn't more uh, helpful to you and with what you were going through. I do regret that because, you know, you were dealing with your pain too. And I was kind of like a sponge taken from you and getting some support and um, comfort from you. But I wasn't giving really any of it back to you. And I, I do regret that a lot because I know that you were, you were probably in almost as much pain, if not as much pain as I was. And, um, and there I was just siphoning, <laughs> siphoning all your comfort and not giving you any comfort in return. In fact, I think, I think more than anything, I gave you frustration. Oh, I, I agree. You drained me. That's why I had to keep disappearing. Do you remember you invited me out to the uh, the military base? And I went out to see you. You were shocked out of your boots that uh, I actually followed through. Yeah, because <laughs> you, you followed through on your greatest strength. And I, I think you're afraid to, to do anything that would seem like you could commit because you didn't wanna, want me to think that. That was, that was a big deal. It was in Delaware, right? And it was about a 
maybe a three-hour drive, two-and-a-half-hour drive for me to get there. I remember I stayed with you in your room, and then um, there was a really crappy swimming pool outside. We did some swimming. (laughs) There was some guy out there in like a Speedo. I remember that too, Uh, which made the swimming a little less pleasant. That was my first time on on a military base. I actually drove into the base to pick you up. Oh, that, yeah, that's what we did. I drove onto the base to pick you up, <laughs> and then we drove right next door to a hotel that was there. How did we spend our time? Do you want to tell people about that, how we spent our time when we were hanging out together? I mean, you mentioned that we'd go to the pub and the VFW, but what else did we do? Well, I mean, we'd spend a lot of time just at your apartment. We would talk about a lot of stuff. I mean, just our, our lives, our past, you know, about art about the world about just gosh all kinds of stuff we went on a backpacking trip together i remember uh in cold weather we did i don't know how that was the only one we went on because we both love the outdoors you definitely are more of a backpacker than me well we planned several we planned several but uh they'd always fall apart because i was broke i was broke as could be i mean and that's another thing i tell people i I couldn't rub two pennies together i mean at that time i was living on uh, unemployment so i was getting an unemployment check every two weeks but that was just barely enough to cover the basics and then i'd have a little bit left over you know to to go out and get a drink and stuff like that but yeah that's another regret that i have (laughs) that i that i didn't wasn't more financially secure at the time so that i could have done more spectacular things with you but we got by all right i mean we had a good time we did what we could that backpacking trip that you and i went on one of my favorites uh we had a great fire that night you know that it was just the temperatures were just right it might have even been in in the winter time it was there was a little snow on the ground it was Uh november yeah it was nice it was uh I mean, I, I like the colder weather. I still broke down to a tank top walking around. But, yeah, it was, uh, I don't think we used any kind of shelters. We were just oh yeah, we just stars. We just slept right by the, uh, right by the fire that night, I remember. Yeah. It was a fun trip. How did you end up in Philly? Well, I joined the military. They put me in Delaware and then... Uh, Philadelphia had a good, well, Temple University had a good art history program. So I decided to go move up there to go to school. Do you remember what year you moved up to Philly? 2009. Hmm. I don't think I knew that. I moved to Philly in uh, 2003, end of 2003. So I had been there for a few years before you. Yeah, I didn't. I met you not too long after I moved there. It would have been, uh, I think, 2011 was when you and I met. Yeah. And that was just right after the events that I call my borderline personality disorder crisis. And just everything. I just suffered all the losses in the world, even lost my job. My job wasn't related to that, those events. But I remember but just when t- you lost your job. Oh, do you? We had yeah. just met we dated maybe a month by then yeah well the economy was had gone to crap you know we were right in the midst of the great uh recession that was really why i lost my job 
they they were paying me too much. Well, they were paying me more than they were paying a lot of other interpreters. And so they were looking for a way to uh, cut costs, I think. And they kind of concocted a reason to fire me. I remember, yeah, it's it seemed like, well, bull. I mean. Oh, it was. And I fought you it. You liked your job. You liked doing what you did anyway. Oh, I loved it. And I loved working for that hospital particularly. That was uh, Albert Einstein Medical Center. And uh, I loved everybody I worked with, <clears throat> except for what had happened was my the director of my department retired. She was an older Jewish woman, and she just loved me. And I love Jewish women, too, by the way, because they always treat me so good. She just treated me so good. She saw my strengths, and she used she you know she empowered me to use those strengths within the hospital and with my job and stuff like that. She retired and this other woman come in and she came in from corporate America. Within three months, she fired me. It was that combination of things. A new person in charge who didn't like me. She, from the moment she met me, she didn't like me. And the Great Recession. Even though all the other parts of my life were falling apart, I felt like I had that security. You know, it was something I really took seriously and I loved doing. And, uh, man, then I lost that job and it was just like bottom of the barrel. But I'm kind of glad it happened because it really was what took me to my rock bottom eventually. was That was kind of like the last element in the puzzle that needed to happen before I would feel so uncomfortable that I'd start looking really deep inward. Well, that really narrows, that really puts a bullseye on when you and I met if you met me right at the time when I lost my job, because I can almost look at a calendar and determine the exact date. I remember you and I, we, our first date was at a kitchen bar. Do you remember that? Of course I do. I remember parking. I remember getting out. I remember you standing there and I remember everything about that night. I remember the way the air smelled. I remember the type of night it was. Uh, that was a good day. That was a good day for me. Is there anything you can think of? No, I'm probably not very helpful. You're a little, you're a little clammy. I am. But that's all right. Oh, hey, tell them about my bed. Wasn't it just like a mattress on the floor? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just had a mattress thrown down on the floor. You were Man. about function. You needed something to sleep on. There is something to sleep on. Yeah, I think my only real piece of furniture was I. I think I invested a eight hundred dollars in a couch. And I kind of spent all my time on that couch, unless I had you over, and then, you know, then I'd make use of the... Yeah, I think we made use of the couch, too. The mattress. Oh, did we? It would, it would always end up, yeah, in the bedroom. You're very traditional, probably. <laughs> <laughs> At least in your apartment, uh, you are. Oh, boy. That's funny. Um, the guitar. It was always oh, the guitar, yeah. and you would re you would make song requests for me to learn. They were always the songs that were so complicated to play that they I could never. Beautiful. They were beautiful songs. Um, they were, but they were complicated. You know, when you're when you're a guy trying to show off for somebody, you know, you want the the ABC songs. <laughs> uh, you uh, always did a really good job. Oh, thank you. I, I do remember that uh, on one of my playlists, I had. What a Good Boy by Bare Naked Ladies. And one day, I don't even think I was playing the song that day, but you said, hey, 
what, what's the name of that song? It goes like this, and you really like that song. What was it that you liked so much about that song? I don't know. I, I haven't heard it in a little while, but I'm trying to think of the lyrics. It's relatable. I don't know. It just seemed like they have an interesting way of expressing things. They and and that song, the way they talk about kind of emotion and they put it sometimes you get the artist will put it into a very poetic and beautiful lyric. Their lyrics could be a little weird, but still be beautiful. And that song is a perfect example of it. And the whole meaning behind it is still just very touching. Yeah. That it, because of the way that they present it with the music and the lyrics at the same time, it makes a point very poignantly, doesn't it? Yeah. Was there anything about me that you hated that you didn't like? Not that I hated. I mean, I didn't like that you wouldn't commit <laughs> but or that I couldn't, I just couldn't figure it out. I don't know. But you weren't always super realistic. In what way do you mean? I've never, this isn't something I've like really thought out before, but even better for as much as you were going through, you could be very upbeat at times and very positive. And I, I liked that part, but I just felt like, I don't know, it's hard to, it's hard to just describe it. It was like, you wanted us to, to continue in this very nonchalant relationship and you would have been fine with that and that's not realistic to me uh, especially when you're as close as we were as time has gone by and you think i mean i know you don't really dwell on things that make you sad or whatever but uh as time has gone by have you looked back and thought and understood better why i did things the you know in certain ways or uh resisted certain things or I mean I it has con- why you resisted I understood it with what you had been through I could feel how you felt I, I'm empathetic enough I I could feel how bad you felt about things and how much you wanted to figure this all out for yourself and fix it and and get your life back where you wanted it to be and I knew that that's why I knew that I knew that then I just didn't know what point in your life you came out of it. Oh, okay. Because I wasn't around. Well, that makes sense. I kind of like that you shared something that uh, you hadn't really thought out. It kind of gave me a chance to kind of hear you work it out. That's why when you asked me before why I would start talking to you again a couple like years ago when we first started talking your daughter was two, you, you asked me what had changed that I would finally talk to you again. And I told you it's because you had a daughter. Something had to have changed in you because I know you wouldn't take that lightly that you would make things more about her. And I knew you at a time in your life where you had to be very selfish, where you had to work on yourself. That having a, a, a child would have had to mean that you pulled out of it. Uh, you're absolutely right. And I did choose to have my daughter. She wasn't a mistake. Uh, but I chose to have my daughter and I did not make that choice until I was certain that, you know, 99.9% of what I had been dealing with had been repaired. And then I made the decision to do that. So you're absolutely right about that. You know, a lot of people would think that, well, he had a daughter and the daughter changed him. 
No, I don't subscribe to that. The distorted perceptions that you're living with don't suddenly fix themselves just because you have a child. No, you you got to fix those things first and then have the child and then, you know, be a healthy parent. That That's my take on that. And that's what I tried to do. I'm real glad that you included that. I've had you on the phone there for a while, and I know that you're working today. Uh, let's let's close with some positive things. What are some of the best memories you have of the time we spent together? Just sitting beside you, just I don't know, just being comfortable, being so comfortable with someone else that nothing really touched me, nothing bothered me. That's pretty deep. <laughs> I thought you were going to say like going to the zoo or something. <laughs> I could just be with you and not let the world in. Though, it, I mean, I needed to because I needed to deal with things, but you were an escape for me. Hmm. So we were kind of serving a purpose for each other, weren't we? I mean, we were we were kind of like two puzzle pieces getting stuck together. Yeah, but I was definitely, uh, you were definitely a sponge taking all my energy. <laughs> Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> and I'm really grateful to you for all that. I really, truly am. I'm grateful for you putting up with me while I was trying to figure the really, really complex things out. And uh, I'm really glad that we can still talk today and, and laugh about some things and be serious about some things. It's There there are a few people in my life like that, Natalie, and I really, really love that you're you are that person. Well, we'll just close with that. That's a good way to close. I want to thank you for uh, agreeing to do this today. It really means a lot to me. I think a lot of people out there who only get to hear me from me uh, will enjoy this perspective from somebody else who knew who knew and who knows me very, very intimately. You know, I just want to tell them that I think you're the salt of the earth. I have only great feelings and memories of you and I'm so glad to hear that things are going well for you. You're, you're getting ready to go to India. Is that right? Yes. Your second trip to India. Yep. Since January. Well, uh, India is on my to-do list and, um, I'm kind of, I kind of have a, a romantic love affair in my mind with India. What were your perceptions or I mean, what were your first, uh, impressions of going to India for the first time? I mean, I go to a slightly different area than what you would think of when you want to go because you have a romantic notion of it. Because I definitely, before I went there, had that same romantic notion. I don't anymore. Are you in Bombay? Where, where do you go when you go there? Hyderabad. It's it's central. Okay. But uh, the the people there are so, so friendly, so sweet. I've never met... A, people as a whole that are, that are like that. I, that's what blew me away about going to India was just how kind the people are. Do you like, do you read, do you read a lot these days? Yeah. Um, have you ever read the book Shantaram? I have not. You might want to look that book up. That's one of my, it's within, it's in the top three of my favorite books of all time. And it's all about India from an, an Australian's point of view. Okay. And he, he has kind of a love affair with India, but he expresses some of the same things that you just expressed that, uh, you know, the shock, the culture shock, the, uh, the kind of the horrors that you find in that uh, part of the world, but also the beauty that's, uh, that you can see underneath of it all, like the kindness and that sort of thing. Yeah. 
yeah, it's a, it's a diamond in the rough for sure. It's, it's a lot of people you can see, they might not like it, but, uh, going there, it's not the cleanest place. It's not a first world country, but it's, it's the people that make it really special and, and just kind of their history and everything. Well, travel safe. All right. All right. Thanks. I want to take the opportunity here to once again, thank Natalie for joining me on the the program today to give you a little bit more context. Uh, we mentioned in the program that we haven't seen each other for at least seven years. I think doing the math, it's probably closer to eight years, but, uh, there's even more to it than that. We haven't even heard each other's voices in eight years or seven years, whatever it is. We've not spoken on the phone in all that time. The conversation you heard today was our first conversation, spoken conversation in all that time. So you got to be in on our first conversation since uh, seven or eight years ago. It was a real privilege for me to be able to talk to her and to kind of share that with you all. At that time, I didn't know that I had borderline personality disorder still. But clearly from the conversation with Natalie, you can see that uh, I was doing some serious inner work to try to figure it all out and uh, fix those root causes. When we got off the phone together, I mean, when we stopped recording, we talked for a little bit longer and uh, Natalie told me, I don't think she'll mind me sharing this with you. She told me that when I acknowledged during the program that I had been a sponge that she almost couldn't contain herself. She almost started to cry, probably because it's healing for us to finally recognize something that somebody else has wanted us to recognize for a long time. So anyway, a lot of good things in this program today. I hope you enjoyed it. One more thanks to Natalie. I want to remind you again to visit thelastsymptom.com, and if you are so compelled to donate to support my overall body of work, which includes this podcast, uh, it would be very appreciated. I hope you folks have the best week of all time. Thanks for tuning in. As always, I'm glad to have you here. I look forward to talking to you again next Thursday, same place, same time.